0: اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا كتب عليكم القصاص في القتل الحر بالحر والعبد بالعبد والانثى بالانثى فمن اوفي له من اخيه شيئا فتيبا بالمعروف وادا عليه باحسان ذلك تخفيف من ربكم ورحمه فمن ادى بعد ذلك فلا له عذاب اليم O ye who believe, equitable retaliation in the matter of the slain is prescribed for you, the free man for the free man, the slave for the slave, and the female for the female. But if one is granted any remission by one's brother, then pursuing the matter for the realization of the blood money shall be done with fairness, and the murderer shall pay him the blood money in a handsome manner. This is an alleviation from your Lord and a mercy, and whoso transgresses thereafter, for him there shall be a grievous punishment. In commentary, Hazrat Musleh who explained that when it comes to murder and the punishment that there is for it, in, these, in this verse and other verses of the Holy Quran and teachings of the Holy Prophet Allah Almighty has established the importance of equality between people. Because this is something that begins to suffer the sense of equality when corruption starts to appear in society. When a person does a crime then people start to see what is the economic standard status of that person. What are the family connections of that individual? What are the different biases that would give that person some, somewhat of an advantage to be treated differently from a poor person? So this is a consistent problem that exists even in a criminal justice system that is as established as ours is in our country and in many other countries. <clears throat> this is a persistent problem where those people who are poorer who belong to minority groups, belong to races that are considered to be inferior by, by certain segments of society. All these things play a factor into the unbalanced way in which criminal justice is administered. This is also one of the reasons why, understanding this principle, our judicial system has a symbol of a woman who is, wearing, who is holding a scale while wearing a blindfold over, over her eyes. Because that absolute justice and blind justice is the principle on which justice is founded. So this verse of the Holy Quran explains that it does not matter whether a person is a man, woman, or a slave, a free person, or whatever it is, whatever category it is that they belong to. What existed previously among the Arabs by taking gender, by taking slave or free status, by taking Arab or non-Arab, all these things into account, those points are now irrelevant in Islam. But all are to be treated equally when it comes to a person killing another person. This is something that applies... to believers and disbelievers as well. Some people, they raise the allegation that Islam only punishes a person who kills a believer but not a disbeliever. But this again is a misunderstanding on the terminology of the Holy Quran. Because when the Holy Quran uses the terminology of believer and disbeliever, as a generality, it refers to that state of warfare that existed between believers and disbelievers. But also in other places of the Holy Quran, it makes it abundantly clear that this is not a religious difference that is being referred to. It is a warfare that is being referred to. And that is why the Holy Quran also says that when there are disbelievers with whom the Muslims are allied and one of their people or individuals is killed, then that same rule applies and justice is to be given to them. The only exception is that when a person is in a state of active warfare with another people, then at times there is unavoidable collateral damage. And Islam acknowledges that. To ignore the reality of collateral damage is to ignore one of the realities of warfare. Now that doesn't mean that a person can use collateral damage to justify murder as many times we see happening in this day and age where civilians again and again are killed and those same actions are taken carelessly which result in more and more civilians being killed, which then perpetuates a cycle wherein more terrorists are created who look for a way to get revenge out of desperation against a power that they think they have no other avenue to fight against. So collateral damage is a word that nowadays, unfortunately, in many ways is being abused as an excuse for the brazen killing of civilians and not giving value to the lives of people who are on the other side of the the fight. But Islam has acknowledged that in such a situation, certain collateral damage can happen, but it has given many, many teachings on how it must be avoided in all circumstances. Battle is something that is only to happen on the battlefield. Now, where collateral damage does happen or where a person is killed on the enemy side, where a person is fighting against them, there, of course, separate teachings are mentioned. Because if a person were to start play, paying blood money to an enemy group, then, of course, they would start using those resources to make further warfare against one's own country. So where the giving of blood money and the expiation through this fidya, um not fidya kisas, goes against wisdom of those extreme circumstances... So in warfare it does not apply, but in all other situations it is applicable. Hazrat Musleh Maud quoted one example which beautifully illustrates this equality that Islam has taught. And that has to do with the very unfortunate incident of the martyrdom of Hazrat Umar. Hazrat Umar was martyred by a Persian individual who belonged to a non-Islamic faith, perhaps Zoroastrian fire worshippers or whatever they were. And so he was the one who assassinated Hazrat Umar Now after his assassination obviously there was a state of great grief and anger as well And one person said that he had seen that murderer being given the knife that he used the dagger, the double-edged dagger that he used to assassinate Hazrat Umar He saw, I saw this other Persian person giving the dagger to this individual The reality was that The Persians who lived in Medina, they would obviously meet with one another as often people do who are living in a foreign society. Anytime there are immigrants living in any society, then they tend to congregate together. They tend to interact together because of their cultural history which they share and the similarities that they share in their language and those points. So it is narrated in history that the Persians, the Iranians, the Persians in Medina would interact with each other. They would live amongst each other. But they were still members, equal members of society, as is demonstrated later in the story. And so this one Persian man, who was an older man, he saw that this person who later assassinated Hasid Umar, he saw him with this double-edged dagger and he said, what need do you have of this in this city? It is a peaceful city. This is a place where there is no need for such a thing. But that, that, that assassin made an excuse and said that I use this for something to do with my herding or my camels or whatever. But someone who had seen this interaction saw that the person was asking him about the dagger and holding the dagger and so he made, the, made an assumption. Now the son of Hazrat Umar R.A., not um, Hazrat Abdullah, but Hazrat Ubaidullah, he was another son of Hazrat Umar After the death of Hazrat Umar he in his anger went and killed that man, that older Persian individual, about whom this accusation had been made. And he did this in a vigilante way, he had no right to do so. Islam only allows for these things to be done through the government. A person cannot do it individually. So his first mistake and crime was to do this on a vigilante individual level. And secondly, he just did so based on one testimony. There wasn't anything conclusive. He did it out of anger. And so Hazrat Usman gave the decision that the son of that Persian man who was killed, he said that now you have every right and I hand over Ubaidullah bin Umar to you that you can now take his life according to the law that Islam has established as a right. Or you can forgive him with the taking of blood money. Now he narrates, we remember that this is a person who is living in Arab society. If he had been living there a century ago, then he would have never had these rights. They were were from a different culture, from a different people, living in servitude, all these things. But now living under Islam, he says that I took Ubaidullah out to the desert And as I went, every person that I encountered, he would come and join me and continue walking with me. But no one would ever try and stop me. When I reached the place where I intended to go, where the execution was going to take place, many people had gathered. Of course they had gathered. This was the son of the Khalifa who had just died. He had a great status in society. And so he addressed them and asked them that, do you deny me my right to kill him? They said no we do not deny your right he said do you have any power to stop me from doing what i will do they said no we have no power whatsoever so then he says that for the sake of allah almighty and for the sake of those people i forgave him and i did not kill him and then he narrates that after this the people who were gathered there were so happy that they lifted him up onto their shoulders and they carried him all the way home and he says that his feet did not touch the ground the entire way people did not let him walk, but this was the dignity and the celebration that they extended to him and the gratitude they had for the forgiveness that he extended. Now, In this situation, we see that this is the way in which Islam wishes to establish that equality in society, where no racism plays a part, where no status, family status plays a part, where no religious bias plays a part, where justice is served with uh, absolute justice and with a blind... Uh, approach to being completely equal and even to everyone so this is one of the points that this teaching of Islam uh, teaches then the next verse is verse 180 that uh, and there is life for you in the law of retaliation O men of understanding that you may enjoy security in this uh, commentary of this verse, Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al who pointed out that the words ulul al are used O men of understanding, which shows that those people who lack understanding will not comprehend the wisdom and the beauty of this teaching and it takes a depth of understanding to appreciate it and recognize its necessity now this is something that we observe in this day and age, Hazrat Muslim al who explained that in this day and age there is a movement to abolish capital punishment saying that it is something that should not be a part of society, although this leads to the destruction of society, because the Holy Qur'an has described this as being a means of life. And this is different waves and different phases that societies go through. This abolition of capital punishment is something that has only become mainstream for perhaps a few decades now. And in those small periods of time, the negative effects of going against the teachings of Islam do not become apparent. But over time we see that on a grand social level, deviating from the basic principles of human nature and the teachings of Islam end up having their consequences in one way or the other. And so this is something that exists with capital punishment as well. We see that now, as society is getting more and more violent, these laws that forbid capital punishment on misguided emotional grounds of mercy, of feeling soft and not wanting to show uh, justice to the criminal, and want to show mercy to the criminal at the expense of the victims, this is now showing its absurdities. You know, when this idea was first brought forward and even now today when it is brought forward, capital punishment is inhumane. We should not have it. It is something that goes against the human dignity of each citizen in society and even criminals have human dignity. The inevitable result is that when a person does not punish criminals, then it encourages crime. What Islam has taught is the perfect balance of preventing crime and establishing peace in society. But when that crime is not punished, then violence starts to increase in society. That principle is something that can temporarily accommodate a society that is generally peaceful for other reasons. But it is not something that is a universal teaching. Now we see right now that the world is headed more and more towards violence. And one of the reasons we are headed more towards violence is because of the contradiction in our principles here in the West. We see that no capital punishment is completely forbidden because we have human dignity for the citizens of our countries. But if we had that similar standard to those people outside of our country, then this problem and this absurdity of this principle would have become apparent. Because those same countries that want to extend that human dignity to the criminals of their own society do not extend that human dignity to the civilians of other societies. This is half the reason why terrorism is on the rise. That when it comes to political interference in other countries, disregard for their systems, for their lives, for the peace in their society, then it creates a general violence within the world and that violence ends up finding its way back to those same countries. And there are many very ironic examples of this that come up, examples that are almost laughable. Right now, as an example of just the way this contradiction shows itself, There is a huge controversy happening right now in the United States of election fraud. We are offended. We are appalled that perhaps the Russians or some external force may have interfered in our elections. Now, of course, it's wrong to interfere in anyone's elections. It's a bad thing. We have every right to be offended. But when we look at it from a historical perspective, it's almost laughable the way that our reaction is. Because when we see the ways in which we as a country in the United States have interfered in the elections of other countries, Forget interfering in their democratic elections, of propping up dictators, of destroying and taking down democratically elected leaders that went against our economic interests. And then as a very minor thing that we did in comparison to those other things of rigging their elections, of interfering in their election processes, to make sure a person won who was in our favor, for that same country to turn around and create an upheaval at the injustice that has been done against us because someone dared to interfere in our elections. That is something that shows either a complete foolishness on our part in the hypocrisy that we are demonstrating or a complete lack of awareness of what our reality is, of the actions that we have done ourselves. Perhaps many of these same people are not even aware of what the established policy of US government foreign policy has been in all these years in the way in which that we Establish power in other places of the world, whether subversively or, ex- or, or, or through military means. So this is one example of that contradiction. We hold democracy to be so dear within our own borders. We apply that to our citizens. But we don't apply the same standard to those who are outside when it conflicts with our interests. So this shows some, somewhat of a lack of belief in our own principles. So this also applies to kisaas this point of capital punishment. Capital punishment and this opposition to capital punishment would be a noteworthy and beautiful principle that we adhere to, especially in Europe they have abolished capital punishment. It would be something beautiful if they actually applied it consistently. If that same human right and human dignity they ex- extend to the criminals of their society, they extended to the law-abiding, innocent citizens of foreign societies and not being careless in the way that we treat their lives and their countries and their peace of mind and the, and the way in which they live. So the principle that the Holy Quran teaches is something that is a universal teaching. It applies in every situation, it applies in every society. That is the perfection of that teaching. That is the beauty of that teaching. It is only out of short sightedness that people fail to understand the beauty and the wisdom of the teachings of Islam and they go and try other experiments before they come back to what Islam has truly taught as being the only means of salvation. It was the Khalifa Abu Razila one who also made a point in how why people fail to understand this why you need ulul albab men of understanding people who have depth of understanding to be able to understand these principles the reason is that there are some laws in islam that have to do with individuals others that have to do with society and government and they require a different understanding of realities you know, when people make these objections for example the capital punishment it is based on a very emotional approach that says that, well, I wouldn't like my neighbor to, you know, killing somebody is something that is wrong in any situation because killing feels wrong, it feels bad, based entirely on a feeling, just an emotion, a meaningless emotion that a person has. But when a person is making laws that have to do with the benefit of society and governing a people, then very intricate factors have to be taken into account and how they have a long-term effect on people, on places, on all these different things. And that is the way in which laws are made in society. So when people object to the laws that are made in a country based on depth of understanding, based on their own shallow understanding, which is based mainly on just a personal emotion that they have, a feeling of why something doesn't feel right and something else feels better, this is what is referred to as there is life for you in the law of retaliation, O men of understanding. That this point of being a person of understanding is important when understanding the need for social rules that regulate a society. Hazrat Musleh Maud also mentioned that um, taqwa is mentioned here at the end of this verse, لَأَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ um, It has the meaning of that you may enjoy security. You no, know, Taqwa has the meaning of security. But also another meaning is if we take it in the spiritual sense of taqwa, so that you may be able to practice taqwa, so that you may be able to act according to Righteousness. What this means is, as as Hazur explained, that Allah Almighty opened this meaning to him, that when a person is able to live life, then they're able to do more and more good deeds. And so each person should have a desire to live longer, so that they can do more good deeds and earn the pleasure of Allah Almighty. This is the approach that a believer should have. When we see the different teachings that Islam has taught on the importance of martyrdom, of being ready to die for the sake of Islam, it does not mean that now we hate life or now that it is wrong to desire to live a long life or to want to continue living. Because naturally, life is a very valuable thing and a gift that Allah Ta'ala has given us. And if we desire good deeds in the paradise of Allah Almighty, of course we should desire a long life. Because the longer we live, the more that we have opportunity to do good. In fact, the Holy Qur'an has even described the age of 40 as being an age of spiritual maturity, that is when prophets oftentimes receive prophethood. So why would a person not want to live up until 40 and live a full life? How does martyrdom play into this? The way that martyrdom plays in is that when Allah Ta'ala speaks of martyrdom, He specially emphasizes that those people are not dead, but they are living, as we went over in the previous verses when we spoke on martyrdom. Allah Ta'ala promises those people that if you die for the sake of Allah Almighty, then your reward will be as if you had lived a full life and continued doing good deeds in the way that you were doing them before you passed away. In fact, even greater than that will be the reward. So the only reason a person who is martyred and ready to die for the sake of Islam does so willingly is not because he has some suicidal tendency. That is not what Islam teaches. Islam teaches that we should love life from that perspective. But it is only because Allah Ta'ala has promised us that our life has not been squandered that those good deeds that we missed out on, we will be rewarded for even more because we sacrificed that opportunity. So in this way, Islam teaches the importance of life and that this law of retaliation is necessary to preserve our lives. When we punish criminals appropriately, then it will prevent them from killing other people. And this gives all of us as individuals the preservation of life that we need to be able to live long lives and do righteousness and earn the paradise which Allah Ta'ala has promised those who do good in this world, who have faith and do good in this world. So this is another meaning of lallakum tattakoon. And this is an aspect of the importance of the time that we are given in this world. Why we should desire to be given as much time as possible. And also uh, um, the, why a person should never desire to die unless it is for the sake of Allah Almighty. The Holy Prophet ﷺ forbade a person praying for death. A person should never pray this. He said that you do not know if you will be able to do greater good deeds in the future. So pray that Allah Almighty gives you death in a state of righteousness. But we should not take the matter into our own hands even in prayer. So we'll end here and then we'll continue from here tomorrow with some of the points that are left. If anyone has any questions they can feel free to ask. the Bible? Hmm. So the question is. Hmm. So the question is that is there anything? I mean, the the teachings on kisas are clear in the Holy Quran, but is there something in the Bible? In the Old Testament, there certainly is. But in the New Testament, I can't think, maybe there is, but I don't think there is. There may or may not be. But for the Christians, it is irrelevant. Because for their approach is that they they have changed the way in which religion was revealed in the first place. They say the sharia is a curse. And they say that religion has nothing to do with our lives outside of our spiritual lives. As far as how we form our government, that's entirely our business. God has no right to interfere in that. So this is the principle they are established on. So an absence of such a law is something that doesn't matter to them. But the very fact that they have taken up this position creates a contradiction in their own scriptures because the question is then why did god send down teachings that have to do with governance why was this the precedent since time immemorial every religion contains laws and regulations on how a person should approach every aspect of their lives in its original sharia you know religion is not just for spiritual matters now this also raises another question which is that if jesus is actually god three and one and one and three And if he is the Word who was with God and who was God from the very beginning, that means Jesus is the one who was sending down all of these teachings. It's the only consistent person a person can adopt, consistent position a person can adopt. It is a position that many Christians do adopt, while other Christians deny it. But the fact is that if God sent down the teachings of the Old Testament which contain all these teachings, then it was Jesus who was sending them down and they have some value and validity. Even though a person may consider it abolished, but for the people for those many, many centuries who followed those teachings, they were divine law and it was necessary to follow them. So even if a person wishes to change religion at a certain arbitrary point in human history, they cannot deny the fact that these were laws and these are laws that have to do with religion and have to do with spirituality. So Islam in its teachings on qisas is consistent with this religious understanding. It does not fundamentally change things. It just provides the perfection of it. But Christianity, as far as I know, in the Old Testament there is, but I don't think there's anything on this in the New Testament for Christians. All right, so we'll end here. Inshallah, we'll continue tomorrow. Allahumma <laughs> salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad wabarik wa minna ka